Dear congregation, as we come to worship this morning, on this beautiful Lord's Day, we hear God's call to worship come from Psalm 103, the first five verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. We will now turn back to the first book of, or first book of the Bible, Genesis, to chapter 21. Genesis 21. Let's hear God's holy word. And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah, as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abram called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abram circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abram was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear me here will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abram, mocking. And wherefore she said unto Abram, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abram's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abram, Let it not be grievous in thy sight, because of the lad and because of of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abram rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him, and lift up her voice, and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven, and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and he dwelt in the wilderness, and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass... At that time, that Abimelech and Philcol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abram, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me here 
by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son. But according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abram said, I will swear. And Abram reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I want not, or I, I did not know who hath done this thing. Neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it, but today. And Abram took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abram set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abram, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. And wherefore he called the place Beersheba, because there they spake both of them. There they swear both of them. And thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. And then Abimelech arose, and Philcol, the chief captain of his hosts, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. And Abram planted a grove in Beersheba, and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abram sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. So far the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Dear church family, we live in a world that expects immediate results, instantaneous results in in many ways. Service, we think of our fast food industry, quick, quick, quick. We want things to happen quickly. The idea of waiting for an extended period of time for something is in many ways foreign to us and to the world that we live in. It it goes backwards to our present day's thinking. We live in in an instantaneous culture. And yet there are things in life that we have to wait for. Some of us live and work in in fields or industries where there are fairly significant turnovers. We see the the rapid results. We're looking for it within weeks or within a month or two months, half a year. But there are others, we think of our fruit farmers, where they will plant their crops, their trees, and have to wait three, four, five years before it starts to bear fruit. And even when it starts to bear fruit, it, it is small in size initially. And they don't see the full reward for four, five, six years as the tree continues to grow. Or we can think of others in, in our midst. There are some who, who have waited for the blessing of children one year after the next, not knowing if or when they would receive the, the blessing of a little one to care for, to love. They wait, anticipating, waiting for the Lord, upon the Lord. Abraham and Sarah understood what this, what it meant to wait. In Genesis 11, verse 30, we read that Sarai was barren, and she had no children. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, we we read the Lord as the Lord, we read of what the Lord says to Abraham as he calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And he, he says to Abraham, I'm going to make 
of you a great nation. And at that time, Abram was, we're told, 75 years old. He had waited 75 years and had not seen a, a blessing in terms of children. And now he's told, you're going to become a great nation. Genesis 15, the Lord reminds Abraham again of this promise. Look at the stars, and if you can count them, so shall your seed be. But yet there was no son. In Genesis 16, we read of Abram and Sarah's attempt to take this matter of a son into their own hands. As Abram is given Hagar by Sarah, and at 86 years old, he is blessed with a son, but not the son of the promise. Eleven years had passed already since God had come to him in Genesis 12, too. And yet, the son of the promise was not yet present. And then in Genesis 17, we read that Abram is now 99 years old. Twenty-four years have passed since God's original promise to make him a great nation. Thirteen years have passed since Ishmael had been born. And still, no seed. And during this time, we know there were times where Abram struggled to believe the promise. But there were other times where he demonstrated confident faith in the Lord's promise. Not always understanding how it was going to be worked out. Waiting can be challenging. And when we get caught up in the here and now and the busy details of our life of, of this world, waiting can be challenging. When we begin to think about the moment and when we're living for the moment, we can often want and desire to take matters into our own hands. And that's where we often then need the reminder of Scripture to come to be brought to us. We need to be reminded that the Lord is a covenant God, a God of the covenant, and He is faithful to His covenant. And even even knowing that He is fully aware of what's going on in our day-to-day lives, how we can be even caught up in those moments in our day-to-day life and forget His perspective, his eternal perspective. He never forgets. He always has the end in view. He is working out his eternal, his everlasting sovereign purposes, his covenantal purposes in the lives of every single person in this world, but particularly in the lives of his people. This is clearly evident as we, as you look back over the life of Abraham. And friend, when you are in Christ Jesus, it will be true of your life as well. It's this long-term view, perspective, that the Lord brings to his people, to the lives of his people, that he desires his people to see and to think about and meditate on that introduces to us in, from the life of Abram the next name that the book of Genesis gives, it reveals to us about who our God is. At the end of this chapter that we read together, Genesis 21, verse 33, which is our, our text, our kind of stepping off point as we consider the whole, uh, a majority of the chapter where we read Abraham's response to what has gone past, gone on in the previous uh, verses. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Called there on the name of Yahweh, El Olam, Jehovah, the God of eternity. 
As we consider this name, the everlasting God, in its context, we, we hope to see that the Lord Jehovah is the everlasting God who not only makes covenant with his people, but by very, by the very nature of who he is, he keeps covenant from one generation to the next. An everlasting covenant. And this calls the people of God, this calls you and I to recognize the Lord's enduring faithfulness in time. In the moments when we get caught up in the busyness of life. It calls the people of God to trust Him in those times that are hard and difficult. And it calls the people of God to confess their dependence on Him with faith-filled lives in the here and now with an eye on eternity. And so we want to consider the everlasting God of the covenant. And as we do that, we want to look at how he confirmed the covenant with Abraham and, by extension, with all his people. How that covenant was challenged and how Abraham and how we ought to respond to the covenant in confession. So far in our study of the names of God from the book of Genesis, we have come across six different names of the Lord. And I think since it's been several months since we began the study, I'd like to begin by just doing a quick overview of those names, a review as it were. Children, do you remember what some of those names were that we have been considering Well, in Genesis 1, we were introduced to the name, the Hebrew name, Elohim, which translated in English is God. And we saw this name in the context of creation, pointing us to the the reality that our God is an eternal God, a powerful God, a glorious God, the sovereign ruler over his creation. And he calls us to serve him and to glorify him in him in every area of our life. In Genesis 2, we were introduced to the name Yahweh, or Lord in all capital letters in our English Bibles, sometimes translated as Jehovah, the personal name of God. And it's introduced to us in the context of the second account of the creation of man, of human beings, and it speaks to God's great desire to have personal relationships with human beings like, like us. Ones who were created in His image. For we were created to live for Him, to love Him, to enjoy Him forever. But we know what happened in Genesis 3. The fall, how that relationship was broken. And how even in the midst of, in, in the sh- shadows of the fall, the Lord comes with his promise of a seed that's going to be coming. A way back into relationship. And the next name that's introduced to us, again, speaks of this, of the possibility of this way back. We now go to Genesis chapter 14 where we're introduced to the third name that comes in the scriptures, El Elyon, the Most High God. And this was introduced to us in the context of Abram coming into the presence of Melchizedek after defeating that international coalition of kings. And Melchizedek is introduced as the priest of the Most High God. And we saw that our God is one who is not only all-powerful and mighty and has the resources at his disposal to help his people, but he is also the one that is accessible through the priest, the mediator, pointing us to the, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, and so gives confident access into his presence through that mediator. Then in one chapter later, in Genesis 15, we're introduced to the Hebrew name Adonai, 
Lord. Speaking of the Lordship of God. And it was used by Abram in faith as he, as he responded to the Lord's promise, where the Lord had promised to be to him a shield and an ever, and would be his exceeding great reward. And Abram at that point said, I don't understand how thou art going to fulfill all these promises, but I trust, Lord. I rest in thy sovereign lordship. Then in Genesis 16, one chapter later, where Abram tries to take matters into his own hand to bring a, a seed into the world, and Hagar flees at the mistreatment that Sarai brings to her. And the Lord finds her, sees her in the wilderness. And we're introduced to that name, Al Roy, the God who sees, the God who provides. And he calls out to her. He sees her in her fleeing, in her disobedience, in her rebellion, and he calls her to to go back, to submit and return. And then in Genesis 17, we read of the Hebrew name Al Shaddai, the all-sufficient God, the one who can and who will keep his covenant who has every resource and ability at his disposal to keep his covenant. And he renews covenant here with his servant Abraham. It's a name that calls for Abraham, that calls us to trust him, to rest in him, that he is able to keep covenant. And now we come to the next name, the last name that's actually introduced to us in the book of Genesis. El Olam, the everlasting God, or the God of eternity. And to understand this name and Abraham's use of it, we have to go back to Genesis 17, where where God renews covenant with Abraham. Abraham, remember, had just desired or tried to take matters into his own hand to to fulfill the promise and bring himself a seed. And the Lord in the next chapter, 17, comes to him and says to Abram, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generation for an everlasting covenant, an olam covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And then he particularly promises, and Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son. It's not going to be through Hagar, the, the, the Egyptian. It's not going to be through any of your own ways, but it's going to be through Sarah. You're going to have a son through Sarah. She shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, an all-lamb covenant again, and with his seed after him. And in our chapter, we see the fulfillment of that promise to Sarai and Abram. This was a covenant from God's perspective that was and is an everlasting covenant. It extends from eternity to eternity. It was one that was yet to be worked out in the Lord's good time and good way. And we see this being worked out in verses 1 and 2 of the chapter that we, that we read. And we read those opening words, And the Lord Yahweh visited Sarah, and he said, as he said, And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abram a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken. 
the Lord visited Sarah as he had spoken at the set time. With purpose and intentionality, God intervenes into the lives of Abraham and Sarah when all hope seemed to have passed. Demonstrating, calling Abraham and Sarah to step back and reflect and saying, yes, our God, our Lord, our covenant-keeping God was in control. He knew what he was doing. He was and is faithful to his word. He keeps his covenant, his everlasting covenant. So that even when it seems, when he seems to delay, we can, looking back at this event, we can rest in his promise that he keeps covenant with sinners like us. Because he himself is an everlasting God, an eternal God. But not only did Abram wait for the fulfillment of this particular part of the promise, but throughout the scriptures, there was a seed coming yet. Abram was given a physical seed of Isaac, but it was pointing towards the greater seed that was to come. And so throughout the scriptures, as you continue to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and forward, we read of the, the, the people of God, the, the prophets, the kings, the priests, who are always looking forward, anticipating the coming seed, the promised Messiah. And even though at times it seemed like God was delaying in the sending of that promised seed, Paul tells us that in due time, Christ died. And it reminds us of verse 2, at the set time. God comes. He fulfills because his word is an everlasting word. His promises are an everlasting promise. He remains faithful. And this ought to encourage the people of God. It ought to encourage us today as his covenant people because our covenant God has not changed and so as we read the promises in Scripture, as we, as we appropriate them to ourselves, we recognize that He will answer. He will speak into our lives. Even when the answers are delayed, when there is questions, uncertainty about how and when, because of who he is in his everlasting nature, he cannot change. But not only did the Lord keep covenant with Abraham and Sarah in providing them with a son, but Abraham's, Abraham himself responded in faith-filled obedience, and he demonstrated this in two ways. He, he first named his son as the Lord called them to. Thou sh- Back in chapter 17, thou shalt call his name Isaac, and we read that Abraham circumcised his son Isaac being eight days old as he commanded him. Abraham in faith kept covenant, recognizing his responsibilities, expressing his belief that God's covenant was everlasting, that God himself is everlasting. And so we too, in faith, are called to, to keep covenant with the Lord. Oh, not in our own strength, but in his strength. But what does it mean to keep covenant? What does, what does a faith-filled covenant obedience look like today? Well, he calls us to trust him, to love him with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our mind, with all our strength. And we forsake the world. How we crucify our old nature and walk in a new and holy life. And we seek to have our covenant children incorporated into covenant with the Lord. And then to instruct and to raise them in the fear of the Lord. 
And yet, as we, as we read that list, and we examine our own hearts and our own lives, we have to confess, Lord, we fail again and again and again. Why do we break covenant so easily and so quickly? But our God is an everlasting God who never breaks covenant. And he calls us to put off our covenant disobedience. He calls us to remove the obstacles that impede our walk with him. He calls us to come and take hold of his power, his grace by faith that is found in the seed of the covenant. And Abram does this in two ways. As he keeps covenant, as he recognizes the challenges that come his way in keeping covenant. And friend, as you walk in the ways of the Lord, you too will be challenged. There will be challenges in our life that are, are going to call or question call into question our relationship with the Lord, sins in our life. But yet, the, as this covenant is challenged by those from outside the covenant and with inside the covenant, Abraham responds in faith, again, at the commands of the Lord. Abraham is soon confronted with this painful reality that there, there is conflict. That there conf- conflict exists even between his two sons of his flesh. In the midst of the joy of God's covenant faithfulness to him and Sarah, he was reminded of his failures, of his sins. As Sarah expresses the joy that has come into their household when she says, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear me will laugh with me. Here is one who had been barren, fruitless, empty, and now the Lord had blessed her with a child. And now she rejoices and calls others to rejoice with her. And when the time comes that Abraham's, uh, uh, Isaac is to be weaned, Abraham th- throws a great feast in celebration of the Lord's blessing, recognizing them. And just a side note on here, we are called, too, to bless the Lord and to acknowledge his faithfulness to us. And with the psalmist, we, too, cry out, Come and hear, all ye that fear the Lord, what the Lord, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. But it was in this midst of this time of joy and celebration in the, in the context of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac that the conflict comes to a head. That it raises, the enemy, as it were, raises his ugly head. It was in the midst of Abraham and Sarah's joy that Ishmael is also laughing. Not with joy at the presence of Isaac, but with a mocking insincerity, a mocking cruelty, jest. Ishmael, the son of Abram's ill attempt to take fulfillment, to, of trying to fulfill the promise on his own, now belittles mocks, despises the son of the covenant, the promise seed. And friend, isn't it often in times of great joy of what the Lord has done for us that Satan seems to work hard at challenging that joy? It's times there that it seems like indwelling sin gets fired up or the world for some reason becomes attractive. And Satan, as it were, takes up his ugly accusations and to the conscience of the believer. And here it comes in the form of mockery and cruelty towards the promised one. 
And Sarah, responding like a mother does to the mistreatment of her son, demands demands that Hagar and Ishmael be sent away. For Abraham, this was grievous, we read. It was hard. It was challenging. For Ishmael was his son, his physical offspring. But he wasn't the son of the promise. And God reaffirms Sarah's direction. Let it not be grievous in thy sight. Because of the lad, in all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And Satan hates it when the people of God are living faith-filled, joyous lives. Grounded in the promised one, in the promised seed, in Christ Jesus our Savior. And he will raise up, as it were, the Ishmaels of our lives. In an attempt to derail, to, to minimize Christ in our lives. And so we too, like Abraham was called to send out Ishmael from his presence. We too are called to expunge sin, to get rid of it, even our bosom sins that will hinder our walk with the Lord and growth in Christ so that we can be thankful um, and live in in his presence, in the presence of Christ. And so when there are those who come to us and and speak into our lives, like Sarah came to Abraham, as much as it was grievous to him, and call us to cast out the things that hinder us in our walk with the Lord, things that are taking our eyes off of the promised seed, the, the seed of the everlasting covenant, whether it's friends or spouses or leaders in the church community, whether it's those around us in, in whatever capacity, and they, they speak into our lives and call us to heed their warnings, to put off and to put on, to put off things of this life, sin. Maybe, maybe it's even things that are legitimate in this world, but they have become they, they are taking our eyes off of Christ Jesus. May we heed their advice. And like Abram, we can find this incredibly grievous and challenging heart because it exposes our hearts by nature, things that we don't want exposed. And so we need to be reminded, like Abram, that our hope is not in the things of this world, in the physical things of this world, but our hope is in the eternal perspective, in the eternal covenant, in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we strive to remove all that hinders our work, our walk with him. Not in our own strength, but by the grace of God but not just striving to put off, but also strive to put on to establish that which is good and right. And we, in fact, see Abram doing this. He is not only, he sends out Ishmael. This would have been incredibly hard for him at this point. Ishmael had been living with him for 13, 14 years at this time or longer maybe, and sent out. But Abram also, as we'll read in the second part of this chapter, establishes and sets up so that his family, his flocks, his herds will be well provided for. It's a very physical example in the terms of the life of Abraham, but I believe he's doing it in faith, looking for, forward to the, the fulfillment of God's continued establishment of the covenant. Abraham has been living in this land for now 25 years. He owns not a single piece of this land. The Lord had promised to him that this land would be 
his and his seeds forever. He had prospered as he lived here. Time and time again, he had been shown that the Lord was with him. And the other people in the neighborhood were beginning to recognize this. Abimelech was one of them. And as he he says, God was with Abram in all that he did. And these surrounding peoples saw that. And Abimelech comes to Abraham and desires to establish the welfare of his own people in the face of Abraham's rising stature in the land and influence. And he seeks an alliance with Abraham. And Abraham, willing to assent to Abimelech's alliance, says, I will swear. But he immediately puts the alliance, as it were, to the test as he deals with the issue of Who owns the well that his servants had dug and that Abimelech's servants had violently taken away? Let me say, why, why a well? Why, why deal with this now at this point, this well? Well, wells were essential for survival and the welfare of, of family and flocks. You needed a, a, a ready and good supply of water. And so Abram, in a sense, is providing physically here for his family and for the future of his, his family and his flocks. And so he creates, puts this treaty to the test. A covenant is made and established. Assuring Abram's place in the land. It's really an act of faith on Abram's part. Believing that God was with him and that God had a place for him in the land, he seeks to live now in this place. But in order to do that, he needs water. And we too, as the people of God, must not only remove the, the things that hinder our walk with the Lord. But we must put on, we must establish that which is right and good for us to help us in our walk with the Lord to live in light of who he is. No, we don't do this in in a self-preservation type of way out of dependence in our own abilities to keep the covenant. But we do so resting in him, resting in the Lord recognizing that he has given everything that we need to walk in his ways. And so we are called and we we seek to establish habits and patterns in life that help us live for him. We put on that which is good for our own protection, but also for the protection and care of our children. As Abram ensured the provision of water for his family. Friends, what are we doing to ensure the spiritual provision for ourselves and for our families? Do you have a regular time in the Word of God where you read, study, think about, apply to your own hearts and lives? Undistracted. Times in the Word. Do you care for your family in discerning what comes into your home, whether it's through the front door or through the gateways of your networks, through the Internet? Do we regularly, with intention, make use of the means of grace placing ourselves under the preaching of the word? Are we in prayer? Are we faithfully ensuring the instruction of our children at home, here in the church, school? Are we participating in the sacraments? Faith-filled participation the means that God gives to strengthen and build up faith.
Are we regularly letting people, other godly people, speak into our lives? Ensuring the fellowship of the believers. Communing with one another as iron sharpens iron. Oh yes, we can't do this on our own. For we are utterly dependent on the Lord for his blessing. But he's the one who gives strength and courage and power to put off, but also to put on. And to promote that which will be helpful for the welfare of us and our children in our walk with him. And when we see his help, when we see him blessing, when we see his providential, kind, covenant care over us, how are you and I going to respond? So Abram, as he reflects back on the birth of his son, Isaac, the sending out of Ishmael, the securing of water for his people, recognizes that all of this had nothing to do with him, but everything, it rested in who his God was for him. Particularly at this point, he reflects on the eternal nature of the Lord. His hope and his help were resting in the everlasting one, whose will cannot be thwarted. And he does this, Abram recognizes this and acknowledges this in three ways at the end of this chapter. Confessing that his God, the everlasting God, had and was continuing to work out his everlasting eternal covenant with him and with his seed forever. And this first act of confession that we see Abram doing was planting a tree. We read, and Abram planted a grove at Beersheba. Literally, it's a single, it's in the singular, it's a single tree, a tamarisk tree. A visible reminder to him and his offspring, not only of the covenant that he had made with Abimelech at this well, but of the hope that he had that this land would be the land that his people dwelt in. It spoke of the the confidence that he had in the Lord, his everlasting God, to keep covenant with him and his seed. But the second thing that he does here is he calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, in an act of worship, Abram prays, he calls on the Lord to Jehovah, the everlasting God, the God of eternity. We're not told what he prayed, but we're told that he turned to the God who is of eternity, who is everlasting, knowing that he alone, this God, who never changes, who is always present, who ever was and ever will be, would be the one who who would ensure not only the success of this physical temporal covenant with Abimelech, but he would be the one who would ensure the continued working out of his covenant with him and his seat. He would be the one who would keep covenant with him, who would bring in the promised seed of Abraham, our Lord Jesus Christ. The third act of faith, of confession, is he lived in the land, in and among the Philistines, many days. Verse 34, Abram sojourned in the Philistines' land. A word there, sojourned, has the idea he, he lived there as a resident alien of the land. He didn't own a single thing, but he lived there with intentionality and purpose, As a stranger in this land, anticipating the land would become home to his seed. That the Lord's fulfillment of promise was coming. The fulfillment of the coming promised one 
was on his way. Abram was more and more living in the reality of an eternal perspective for his life. He was living in the reality that his God was an everlasting God who would keep covenant forever. And as he does, he does this by naming, using a name that speaks of the eternality, the unchanging character of God. For he is the God who is children. He's the God who is without beginning and without end. He's the God who never changes. It's a name that magnifies the totality of who he is in his sovereign and intimate care over all his people. It's a name that is both instructive and comforting. And that's we like to look at just a, in a few moments, the instruction that we receive from this name and the comforting truths from it. It's instructive in how, how it helps us understand and think about the will of God. His will is consistent. It's everlasting. It's unchanging. Unlike our wills that are often so fickle, changing, changeable, Unlike some of the so-called gods of this world, I think of Allah and the Muslim religion, you don't know what his will is for you today. The God of the Bible is an everlasting God whose will is everlasting, who does not change. And so we don't have to second-guess what the will of the Lord is today for you or I. We don't have to, we can be, we can be absolutely certain what God calls us to today. And that is going to be the same tomorrow. Namely, he calls us to trust him. He calls us to call upon him. He calls us to grow in holiness. He calls us to be more conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, the particulars of what this is going to look like in your life and mine are going to be different in exactly how this gets worked out, what comes across our paths in terms of various afflictions, challenges, blessings. But the principles are true. Are you resting in the everlasting God? It also means, dear believer, that when you are in Christ Jesus, your place, your position in Him is everlasting because He Himself is everlasting. He cannot change. So there's a security there for the children of God to rest in Him, even when things are dark, when things are challenging, when things seem to be going out of control. He is constant. It's also a comforting truth because God continues and always will be our God. It provides stability. This truth provides stability in in challenging, difficult times. We read particularly of that in the life of Abram. It's only one chapter later in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 22, that Abram is put to the test by the Lord himself. Asking Abram to rest in his everlasting covenant through a test that seems to be, to be contradictory to that. Abram, take your son Isaac and sacrifice him. And what does Abram do? 
and goes with confidence to Mount Moriah. He walks up that mountain with his son, with the fire, with the wood, with the sticks, to everything necessary for a sacrifice, except the offering. And you remember, children, what, as Isaac, as he considers those elements that are with them, says, but Dad, where is the sacrifice? Do you remember what Abraham's response was? God will provide. And he uses there the name El Roy, or a version of it. And Hebrews 11 tells us, gives us this broader, more eternal perspective. By faith, Abram, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Why? Because accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead. Abram's hope rested in the fact that his God was an everlasting God and his covenant was an everlasting covenant. He rested in the fact that the seed of the covenant would be coming. And dear believer, that seed has come. Yes, Isaac was born, but Isaac died. The seed of the promise was born. And yes, he died on the cross, but he rose from the grave and he ever lives sitting at the Father's right hand, making intercession for his people. Dear believer, you have an everlasting high priest who continues, who ever makes intercession for you. There's not a day that goes by where he is not in control. And he, his word continues to be true. And he calls you to rest in it. He calls you to believe that one day he will be returning. He will be coming to call you home. Into a land where you will never leave. Never have to deal with sin or misery. Never have to deal with the challenges and difficulties of this life. But called home to be in his presence where he will be your God and you will be his people. When that day is, we don't know. And we wait as believers with anticipation, looking forward to that day. Abraham never saw the fulfillment of the promise in terms of physical land in the land of Canaan. But he saw and is with the Lord forever. And one day, dear believer, you will be too. But for those of you who have never rested in the promised seed, who have never trusted in him, You do not have the certainty of an everlasting home. Well, you have some certainty if you continue on in this state, unbelieving, unrepenting. There will be a day where there will be no change anymore, but will be a a day of everlasting torment. And this seed of the promise calls you today to come to him, to rest in him, to trust him. Our God is an everlasting God. He's a God who is worthy to be served. He's a God who is worthy to be confessed and to be lifted up. Yes, we don't see instantaneous results in our lives in terms of growth and holiness and putting off sin. And, but he does call us to an eternal perspective keeping in mind who he is as the everlasting God. And so we rest, we're called to rest in him for our only hope, for life and death and for an everlasting eternity.
Amen.